Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen welcomes Dr. Josh Coleman for a conversation about parent-child estrangement. Part two will be released on February 14th. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Shattuck for another episode. Today, our topic is going to be parent-child estrangement, and I am going to be speaking with a psychologist who is an expert in this area. I will be interviewing Dr. Josh Coleman. He is a psychologist in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he has written quite a few books, four of them, in fact, along with also writing articles for the New York Times. The Atlantic, NBC Think, CNN, San Francisco Chronicle, Psychology Today, and many other ones. The books that he has written that are most relevant to what we'll be talking about today are The Rules of Estrangement, which was published by Random House, and also When Parents Hurt, Compassionate Strategies When You and Your Grown Child Don't Get Along. His books have been translated into numerous other languages. He is also the father of three children himself. I think this is a really important topic for us to be learning about because parent-child estrangement, at least in the United States, is on the rise. So please stay tuned. Dr. Josh Coleman will be coming right up. So Dr. Coleman, thank you so much for joining me here today on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast for having me. Glad glad to be here. You know, actually, what we're talking about today is um, the flip side of some of the things that we're often talking about in terms of promoting secure attachment and connection. We're going to be talking about estrangement. So it's a break in the attachment bond. Um, And just saying that out loud, it feels so big. Yeah. Yeah. And so you specialize in estrangement. Could you share with listeners how you came about to that being one of your specialty areas and just what's going on with that topic in general? Sure. Well, I came to it, unfortunately, through personal experience. I was married and divorced in my 20s and have an adult daughter who I'm now, again, very close to. But there was a period of time in her early 20s where she'd stopped talking to me for several years, uh, in part out of to express some of her unhappiness of the ways that she might have felt displaced or unseen when I got remarried and had children in my second and current marriage. Um, and so um, so it was at the time there was nothing written to help and the therapist that I saw at the time wasn't helpful at all, uh, made things worse, frankly. Um, and so as we often can, um, in these, particularly in these dynamics. So eventually I was able to uh, find my way back to her and be close again. But that 
that period of time was easily uh, the most painful, disorienting, awful thing I've ever been through. And so when it, we did reconcile, I thought, well, God, I you know would love to help other parents with that. So I wrote my first book on the topic when parents hurt in 2007. And as a result of that, got a wide following of parents in the United States and in other countries. Uh, as a result of that, developed a webinar series and a free Q&A I've been doing for the past 15 years. Uh, and then I did a large study of 1,600 estranged parents at the University of Wisconsin uh, Survey Center, which was published in several peer-reviewed articles and uh, ended up in my book, uh, Rules of Estrangement, Why Adult Children Cut Ties and How to Heal the Rift, uh, heal, heal the Pain, rather, um, that came out last year. So that's sort of the broad how I got here uh, aspect of it. Yes, yes. And so one of the things that you say in your books and, and other things, I mean, you've written articles all over the place, uh, the Atlantic and many other places. I appreciate that, that you're putting this re these resources out there. But one of the things that you say is this is on the rise, it seems. Yeah. And I wonder if you could talk, well, maybe first define what you're meaning by parent-child estrangement. And then maybe we could talk about some of the reasons it is on the rise because it's so counterintuitive that this would happen. Yeah. Um, well, when I think of estrangement, I think of a, a pretty severe cutoff. I mean, if somebody's only getting a birthday card, you know, once a year, then they're probably estranged. Usually it means where one person very intentionally doesn't want to be in contact with the other person. Um, and, you know, we assume there's always been estrangements, but first of all, never have they been done at this level from my perspective. And second of all, never were they um, kind of tied to an aspiration for happiness and meaning and identity and self-esteem and preservation of mental health. So one of the biggest cult changes in the culture in the past half century has been our re sort of cha the changing moral framework of family. That for millennia, family was really held together on principles of honor thy mother and thy father, respect thy elders, um, family is forever. Um, and that's been replaced with this much more psychological identitarian perspective that, that we only keep relationships that are in line with our ideals for our happiness and identity and mental health. And if that is the framework, then not only can we cut off people, family, parents, siblings uh, included, uh, who don't satisfy those ideals, but we should. In fact, not doing it is in some ways considered an act of existential cowardice. So we're in um, a period of time of what the British sociologist Anthony Giddens refers to as uh, pure relationships. And what Giddens was putting his, his finger on is that in modernity, we change from roles to, to selfhood so that that prior to to modernity our our relationships were really constituted on uh, the institutions that defined family religion gender marriage neighborhood etc and all that has given away much more to a self focus and so what Giddens means by pure relationships is that they're purely constituted on the basis of whether or not that relationship is in line with that person's ideals and that's true of friendship it's true of, of romantic relationships, and that's true of um, 
now have family relationships as well. So on the good side of it, it means that people can have, you know, relationships that are much more in line with their ideals that are much more fulfilling. They can exit relationships that are more hurtful to them or coercive or corruptive in some kind of way. Uh, but it also makes relationships much more fragile because they're only held together on this basis. So, um, so that's one of the reasons that I think it's on the rise. Another is the prevalence of divorce in my own research. Um, 70% of the parents who'd been who'd been through an estrangement were divorced. Um, the role of therapy, uh, therapists don't operate outside of the larger culture. We live in a highly individualistic framework, so therapists support that kind of a framework. We're increasingly atomized as a culture. In the United States, we have rising rates of individualism, uh, which pre which uh, prizes autonomy, separation, independence, individuality. Um, finally, well, and then there's the internet, which kind of serves as a kind of extended kin. Um, and, you know, finally, this more tribal political um, nature that we've that's evolved in the past decade alone is splitting families apart. So those, I would say, would be the major reasons that I think it's on the rise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about the cultural pieces, one of the things I, in my research on this topic, and probably something you've written about, yeah. is this idea that, I mean, it used to be, you know, 150 years ago, it would be terrible to be disowned by your family. Right. And, and the relationship was based on uh, sometimes more like I need the family business, I need the family right. farm. And it, it was more transactional, like the parents need you to work the farm and you need the farm to survive. And right. so it was much, it was much more uh, transactional in that way. It doesn't mean it couldn't be relational too, but it <laughs> seems that with a lot of those things no longer being the way that we live, that it has uh, magnified or elevated the relational piece. So the expectations have gotten so high there. What are your thoughts on that kind of thinking? Well, I 100% agree. And I think that, that again, it's a good news, bad news. On the, on the good news side, it raises people's um, kind of everybody has to up their game to maintain their commitments. Parents have to be much more psychologically intensive and sensitive. Friends have to be in marriage. Uh, you know, couples have to be much more psychological and communicative. Um, but it's true that if the only thing that keeps people together is just the relationship and, and no other thing obligates people to each other, it, it does make things um, far more fragile. There's no question about it. Yes. Well, and another thing um, I wanted to ask you about, because you you mentioned um, social media and, and things. Um, I read one article speaking about that parents have really lost a lot of their influence with kids in general because they're hyper connected to peer groups through texting so you know maybe before this day and age you went to an adult i, I remember going to maybe a teacher for when i was yeah. upset about something my boyfriend breaking up with me i remember talking to my gym teacher whereas <laughs> now you might and, and got some sound regulating calming wisdom right. versus yeah. texting friends who are going to maybe elevate the situation no not only friends but also all of the online forums you know yes. that 
that can easily validate, you know, but let's say, for example, the estranged adult children forums, the no contact forums. I mean, if you go on there, the, the general sentiment is, oh, best thing I ever did. Don't need the distress. Don't need the drama. Yeah, you go. I'm so much better now. You know, I had to preserve my mental health. I mean, they don't know these parents. They're all weighing in. Oh, yes, your mom sounds like a total narcissist. They don't know who this mother is. Worse than that, they have no investment in the consequence of it. I mean, at least if you're confiding, you know, in a family member or a family friend or somebody else about something like this, they have some investment in keeping in the other people on the other side. And one of the things that bothers me so much, um, since I'm more steeped on the parental side, since it's typically, typically it's the adult child is cutting off the parent, not not the parent cutting off the adult child. Um, so the parents that come to me are in, in enormous pain. And, um, you know, a lot of the advice out there, oh, should you in the relationship with your toxic parent, 10 steps to decide whether or not your mother's a narcissist, et cetera, you know, uh, why cutting out your family member may be the best thing you ever did, blah, 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 is that there's really no, um, very little that's being said about about the way the parent's life is being completely immiserated by that. By, yeah, maybe it is better in the short term for that adult child to not have contact with that parent. But if the consequence of that is that it's going to make your parent suicidal or it's going to remove a core form of meaning and identity to your parent, or it's going to mean as often as the case that your parent no longer has any access to your grandchildren, including loving uh, dedicated grandparents, then um, that has to be part of the conversation as well. And I think in our youth-obsessed culture, that isn't a very big part of the conversation. That's part of what I really want to make much more of the conversation. Yes. And so we, I'm sure, have people listening who are thinking, well, for a child to go to this extreme, like total cutoff from a parent, sometimes often for in, in the, for years or forever, there must be really something wrong with this parent. They were probably horribly abusive. And, and this is indeed like an act of self-preservation or um, needing to set boundaries. Uh, I, I, and so, <laughs> What, what do you say to those people? Um, because you certainly are not, I want to be very clear to our listeners, you're not saying it's never appropriate to not be around parents who have been harmful or abusive. That's not at all what you're saying. No, and I'm also saying that parents can't just sort of sit back and say, you owe me and I'm not willing to make the relationship something that's more you know, loving or respectful of your boundaries or a place that is good for your, your mental health or well-being. I do think that parents have to, have to bring a lot to the table. Um, but no, I don't think, I mean, yes, it's true that, that for a certain percentage of adult children, those who've been molested, physically abused, abjectly neglected, um, an estrangement is certainly, it's certainly easy to empathize or sympathize with it. I also want as a society us to sympathize and empathize with the parents, even who traumatize their children, because parents don't do that just for the fun of it. They typically, it's the intergenerational nature of, of, of trauma, intergenerational transmission of trauma, which I'm sure you talk about. So traumatized people traumatize their children. So um, I, I can be sympathetic and am sympathetic to a kid who feels like that was just too hurtful. My parents too dangerous, even though they're willing to make amends. I just don't feel 
ready to. Um, but we as a society have to also care about those parents who did abuse their children or neglect their children because they also need our care and compassion and understanding. Um, but so, but they don't constitute the, I would say even the majority of adult children. They may constitute the majority of what adult children say, but I don't think that the narrative that adult children have is always uh, representative of what actually occurred. I think we live in the era of um, where we've been made, make people feel like there's a hidden trauma behind every adult malady. Um, the, the Israeli sociologist Eva Eluz says that today our lives are plotted back Words, what's in a um, dysfunctional family? It's a family where your needs weren't met. How do you know your needs weren't met? By looking at your present condition. And what I like about that, that, that saying is that people are sort of made to feel, and I believe that you know our, our field does a disservice, that if you have a problem in adulthood, depression, anxiety, um, relational issues, success, problems, all you have to do is look back at your childhood and discover the hidden traumas or the ways that your parents let you down, and you'll be able to find a pathway towards healing. Um, sometimes that's exactly so. Um, you know, we know this, the research on adverse uh, conditions of childhood, you know, that we're, that we're talking about now. But, but there's a lot of things that determine adult outcome. Sure, parenting's part of it. Also, genetics are important. Neighborhood is important. Socioeconomic class, um, status uh, is, is hugely important. Uh, peers are important. Random good luck, random bad luck, cohort effects. So there are many things that go into an adult life beyond um, how mom or dad treated you. Um, a. B is that people are sort of given permission to feel like, well, you traumatized me, so I owe you nothing. Or you, you know, you didn't see that I was depressed and get me help. So I don't owe a relationship with you. Um, so um, I think that's highly problematic. But to continue on, on other pathways to estrangement, another common way is if a kid marries somebody and that that adult child and that spouse of that son or daughter doesn't like the parents and says, choose them or me. You can't have both. That's a very common thing. Mental illness in the parent, but certainly mental illness in the adult child or addictions in the adult child can be a pathway to estrangement. Parental alienation, uh, where one parent poisons the child uh, against the other parent, typically after divorce. Finally, sometimes adult children um, get too much of their parents and don't know any other way to feel separate from them than to cut them up. They don't know any other way to kind of hear their own voice than to feel separate from the parent. But in part, this very close, conscientious, psychologically minded parenting that we've been doing over the past four decades or so, on the one hand, and probably in the majority of cases, has produced more closeness between parents and adult children. But on the downside, um, it can give adult children too much of the parent, the parent and the adult child doesn't know any other way to feel separate, particularly um, given texting and cell phone access that, that it doesn't really allow the adult child to organically kind of grow into their own without the constant surveillance of the parent. So I think that there are many pathways to estrangement beyond parental abuse and trauma. Yes, I, um Echoing uh, partly what you just said, um, one of your articles said, in our current culture, 
trauma and parental deficit are really seen as the the things that you really that's that's what you look at and that's all you look at yeah that's the go-to move right and you know i just on a quick side note i was uh taking a course on positive psychology and Uh um, i just like to see all different views and they said the set the set point for happiness is in the happiness research everyone says it's over 50 percent genetic and i was like wow wow yeah it is interesting i didn't realize it was that high either but i'm not i'm not surprised i had heard research that that for people who were like you know if they have like a lose a limb or something or have you know serious cancer diagnosis that that for many people they sort of return to their baseline whatever the level of happiness was before it's fascinating yes yes the power of genetics i'm sorry go ahead and I think this was one of the reasons I was so delighted that you agreed to be on the podcast because as students of attachment theory, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that parent-child bond. And if there's security in that, that that's just optimal and, and will provide resilience and protective factors later. So I think it's easy for those of us who study this theory and adhere to the principles to kind of get in tunnel vision about this. Like, like, well, then something must have been wrong, right. you know, with the parent-child relationship because we have such an emphasis in our thinking on it. No, I think it's really well said. And it reminds me of what you were saying earlier about the impact of the larger culture. I mean, parents will often say to me things like, well, I didn't raise my child like this. They're so disrespectful, they're so rejecting, or so unempathic. I didn't raise them like that. And I'm like, well, you probably didn't, but your child's also being raised by the larger culture. And the larger culture is highly individualistic and self-centered and, you know, focusing on mental health and childhood traumas and the like. Um, and no, I, I completely agree with you. There's this myth that that if you had good parenting or good enough parenting or strong attachment, then you're golden in terms of a lifelong relationship with your child, A, no, and B, that your child is going to just do fine in life. But, you know, particularly these days when children or adult children are buffeted by so many toxic forces in, in society, the idea that any parent could really insulate them, that they could provide them with an emotional or social capital to really insulate them against all of those forces is completely naive. Yes, yes. Well, uh, Dr. Coleman, I am so much appreciating this conversation so far. And listeners, um, we are going to continue talking with Dr. Coleman. We want to move into if this I will say tragedy because it is a tragedy has um, struck you or your family member or someone you know or one of your clients. We're going to talk about some ways to to deal with this. And I think this is going to be really important, too, because as Dr. Coleman said, it's in some circles, therapists are making things worse rather than better. So, yeah, <laughs> well, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 